Honey, I blew up the business. Wow, have we got an incredible episode for you. Jeff Thompson is with us today, a BAFTA-winning writer and filmmaker. His life story has been brought to the screen with actors like Ray Winston, Paddy Considine, and Orlando Bloom. He's authored close to 50 books and has appeared on the Sunday Times bestseller list several times. And he's a total badass, an ex-nightclub bouncer from Coventry and one of the world's highest-ranking 8th Dan martial artists. Check this out. Black Belt Magazine USA named him the most influential martial artist in the world since Bruce Lee. How about that? He's also a spiritual teacher, what I'd call a 21st century warrior monk. His latest book is 99 Reasons to Forgive, which we get into some of the lessons from the book. But this is an unbelievable deep dive into how to convert fear into unlimited potential how you can use these practices to go within yourself to kind of marshal these different forces that are swimming beneath the surface, to battle within yourself, to get over some of the shadow dark forces, to create an amazing impact on the world. I can't tell you how, how I mean, my mind was repeatedly blown through this conversation. You're going to discover what a cosmic post-it note is, uh, why you should listen to a fly, and a whole bunch of amazing stuff about how to recondition yourself from false beliefs, from the perhaps the culture you're in or the peer group you're in, and where you can find that knowledge by closing your ego down and looking openly into the world. This is a deep, uh, very fascinating talk. We get into it almost straight away. Stick with it all the way through, though, because I'm telling you, all the way through is absolute gold. If you don't know me, my name's Dan Kirby. I'm your host of Honey, I Blew Up the Business, uh, because one time back in 2017, that's what I did. I blew up my business. I run a small business as well as a podcast. We turned it around, though, and now it's going better than ever, but I don't want to do that again. So I'm speaking to people like Jeff to help me understand how to better be an entrepreneur and to navigate the often lonely path of being uh, self-employed. So I want you to learn from my mistakes and learn from what I'm talking to my guests about so you can navigate that path too, because we're all in this together, a tribe of people trying to make some impact, to do some good in the world. So if you like that mission, my mission to help you, then please help me by sharing the podcast, telling your friends, putting it on social media, but giving us five-star reviews and uh, give us a write-up on Spotify uh, and a write-up on Apple, because you know how this works. The algorithm likes it when people connect with you and do all that clicking and liking. So tell your friend, we're trying to help people here. That's, that's my mission. So help me out. And before we get into it, I just want to remind you, this, this podcast is brought to you by my company, the one that I blew up and we turned around. It's called The Tech Department. Thank you guys for supporting us. And uh, anyway, without further ado, let's get into the episode. A lot of the stuff he's saying, Dan, is already really good. I think you should, should record all that. So don't want to waste it. We're, we're, we're on it. All right, now I've, I've clicked record. I can take off the post-it note that says, click record. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm leaving notes around for myself all the time. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm like a goldfish. If I don't bloody you know, do once it. You, once you get to a certain level, Dan, um, everything around you is a note. Every molecule becomes a note. Every insect, every leaf on every tree, every branch, every trunk, every blade of grass, every person you meet, every book you read, everything. Someone said to me once, uh, very conceitedly, my God does not speak to me through the 
stars in the Sunday Times that said, well, that's a shame because my God speaks to me through everything. He is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. So we're talking about post-it notes, but once you get to a certain level and you've got spirit around you or, or consciousness around you, everything speaks to you. It's wonderful, but it's not, you know, it's, it is wonderful, but of course, sometimes it speaks to you and it tells you things that you don't really want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah they're yeah. the best things, you know. Very true. I, I, cosmic post-it notes. I think that's that's the sort of uh, good idea. Always good. You it, can in have my, that. Get a, get a t-shirt, Dan. Cosmic <laughs> post-it notes. Do you, know, do you know what? Do you know what's funny? I I, a, I joke quite often about like the forthcoming merch store for Honey, I Blew Up the Business. Yeah. Uh, with its t-shirt and the cosmic post-it notes, which is going to be the Jeff Thompson t-shirt in our merch stand. I think I'm going to fantastic. Everything is a cosmic post-it. Well, it, it's very true, and, and I think and I think the key thing here is to pay attention. Yeah. To be aware or to see the post-it notes as they... And why but why don't we pay attention, Dan? Why, what what stops us from paying attention? Well, I don't know, like um, uh, Twitter, um, in Netflix, <laughs> some yeah. kind of stress response. Me, 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 how much money I can make, how mm-hmm. much validation I can get, you know, what people are saying about me, how many clicks I've got compared to somebody else. It's the ego, it's the self, the small mm-hmm. self. So it's uh, if we can clear that, you know, through the practices, um, we start to we start to notice these these post-it notes, these cosmic post-it notes that we're going into business together with. Well, you didn't realise you were going to hear today the start of a billion-pound industry of cosmic post-it notes. It's actually it's actually your gift, your gift from me. You can have it. It's hard, but it's actually a really good idea. I, I, I'm, 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 not, I'm not even now. kidding. I'm going to do it. You, you should. I, it's a good idea. It's yours. It's a gift. Now, well, I'm, I'm going to reciprocate and give it back to you. So there you go. But it's, <laughs> um, but it's true. We we don't see the post-it notes because they're, it's a small, quiet voice. It speaks to everything. You know, who's got time mm. to listen to a bl- blade of grass? Who's got time to to stand in and um, and converse with a heron who doesn't speak to you? for the first 30 minutes that you're watching him. And he's so still when you watch him in the pond that you think he might be, you know, just a model that someone's put there, a statue. And then suddenly he, you know, he gets a fish. And he, and the message he told me, I thought he was going to tell, I thought the heron was going to tell me about uh, stillness and patience because that's what he's very good at. But he didn't. He taught me a lesson of invisibility. Mm. He said, I'm so invisible. In other words, he's so humble. Humility, visibility about humility says, I'm so humble that I'm stood here so still that the fish that I'm going to eat, that I'm going to consume, don't even know I'm there. I'm invisible to them, even though they're swimming around me. So that sense of invisibility is very, very powerful. Most people want to be noticed. They want to be visible. They want to be validated. But I find that humility is like a centripetal source. It draws people to you to your business, but that has to be genuine. Now, you can be genuinely genuinely humble, Dan, same as I can, because we've been on our knees. Humility is when we know how weak we are. When we know how weak we are, we make room for uh, the Christ energy or spirit or consciousness because we know how weak we are. We've been on our knees and we've turned to something invisible and we've said, I know how weak I am. So this energy, uh, this energy, develops imperfect weakness. It's perfect for it. So we don't see because we're too busy trying to see. If we stop and just 
you know, get out, get out of her own way. Mm. Everything is quietly speaking to us all the time. That getting out of your own way uh, note. I'm going to pause a bit here. The, the, uh, Jeff, as you will tell, is an absolute font of inspiration and knowledge. And welcome to the podcast, Jeff. We're already getting straight into it. No, no, we're straight up to 11. And uh, Jeff's an absolute legend <laughs> in his lifetime. We've got, uh, and he's a, he's, an old called my, he's not just a spiritual mentor, he's my spiritual mentor. I'm adopting you because you've been helping me navigate my life because I had to get out of my own way because I blew my business up. And so part of the, 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 the lesson I learned, or maybe the lesson I learned by it all going wrong for me back in 2017 was to get out of my own way, to get over myself. And what I, I want to um, get into today is, is really a kind of really go deep on that because Jeff's been helping me through his books, his podcasts, uh, through his, his work in, in, in life. I came across Jeff from Paul Mort's podcast. Paul Mort came on this podcast uh, about a year or so ago. And these guys had an unbelievably great conversation. Did you remember the rumble strip, the warning signs from life when you're on the motorway, going down the motorway, the rumble yeah. strip tells you when you go deviating off. They yeah, had a big conversation yeah. around that. And it really, um, as soon as I, I heard Jeff, I thought, this guy has got the real deal. So I'm super excited to have you here today, Jeff. Thank you for coming on our podcast. Pleasure. And and I've got a, so we already had a taste. By the way, I've had some interesting, I had, I had a couple of moments recently with the bird life sat still, me observing it. And um, yeah. yes, it's quite the thing when you actually just occupy their space. I actually had a realization about six months ago that um, I don't live in a, my house. I live in a bird's uh, little town <laughs> in which yeah. I just sort of, I'm renting some space in it. Uh, yeah. And it was quite a nice way of understanding how I sat in the world. Yeah, I got so I had some wasps, I had some wasps in my attic um last year and I could I could hear them talking. They were saying, Yes, we've got a nice little barn conversion. Um <laughs> we've got a little nice little barn conversion in Stratford upon Avon. We got we've got a few pests, a few human pests downstairs, but you know, they, they don't bother us too much. Yeah, we'll we'll get rid of them one day. Yeah. <laughs> For those that I mean, I've done a little bit of intro prior to our conversation about your background, Jeff. But for those you don't know, you you went from a who don't know your story, perhaps you went from a I'll call it solidly working class career, mm. working in factories, working on nightclub doors, and you went from that to a what I would call solidly middle class career of the creative industries, mm. and you swapped out a kind of. Uh, this working class life, this middle class life, this very different world you entered. And you did that through uh, sharing your story and, and writing. But I was kind of, as I was kind of reflecting on your story and your career, I thought there must have been a moment in time when you, you sort of went, I'm going to do this. I'm going to mm. take the leap of faith, call it, to go from a, a, a normal bloke in Coventry to have the audacity to think I can actually write something and other people want to pay attention. So was yeah. there a precise moment in time when you, when you kind of, you, you can recall? Yeah, there was, um, I would say the starting point. I mean, at school, I was, when other kids were writing five lines, I was writing 15 pages and filling in the margins. So the writing was there. It was my way of communicating with my highest aspect, highest aspect. So I'd always wanted that, but I was classically a writer with nothing to write about. At school, they didn't know what to do with me. I'd never heard of university. Honestly, at school, I'd never heard of that. I would, that would have been beyond my fathom. Uh, but I did like to write, and I did write a lot. Um, but I didn't really know what to write about. And then I got married. I left school without qualifications. I married really young. 
And those aspirations were clubbed like a beach seal because most of the people around me were frightened of aspiration. They were frightened of um, my inspiration, although I didn't do it much with my inspiration. I hadn't got a very strong will force at the time. So um, because I got this massive creative uh, aspiration but no outlet for it, I became root-bound. So lots of people that are depressed are depressed because they have no outlets of their energy. Their energy is depressed and it needs to find a way out. And because it was depressed and didn't find a way out, it divided and divided and it became um, curdled. And then it would be, become demonic as in a divided thought. So these thoughts used to assail me. So I used to suffer with lots of depression. I'd wake, wake up at four in the morning in a cold sweat my wife next to me, no, I know she can't help me. She's frightened of my depression. My kids in the next room, I can't protect them because I'm frightened of, I'm frightened of leaving the house. I don't want to go to the doctor because his answer comes in a little brown bottle. And I'm not saying that doesn't work for some people, but it didn't work for me. It wasn't the answer for me. I wanted to understand this. I picked up books and read books, but they didn't tell me the truth. And I was quietly, Angry that they didn't tell the truth because the blurb on the book says, we're going to tell you the true truth. But actually, when I went through the book, it wasn't there. So either they didn't know it or they couldn't articulate it or they were too frightened to speak it. So I just remember thinking, when I find the truth, I'm going to tell everybody. I didn't realize it at the time, but I happened upon the, the secret to the tree of life, the Kabbalic tree of life, the secret to perpetual motion, the secret to abundance. When we receive in order to share, uh, abundance will come to us. So that's the secret. We bring it in. We bring this energy in. We conserve it. We train it. Uh, we perfect it. We impose it back out into the world. We keep that flow going. So I was going through one of these very dark depressions, and I just had this feeling I can't live like this anymore. I can't protect my children. I can't provide. I'm frightened of, I'm, I'm frightened of being alive. And I just remember thinking, I can't live like this anymore. The moment I decided that I'm going to do something about it, a grace came out of nowhere. And it was just the whole idea of, of drawing a pyramid on a piece of paper and writing down everything I was afraid of, everything I knew I was afraid of. That idea just was, was a grace. It came to me. So that was my first strong communication with the Holy Spirit or consciousness. So... That gave me hope and it gave me curiosity because I thought, why don't I write down everything I'm afraid of and confront them? And my idea at the time was to overcome that fear. Um, so it was an ignorance and I was going to overcome it with knowledge. It was an evil, as in it, was, it wasn't good for me. So I was going to overcome it with, with good, with information. It was a darkness. I was going to overcome it with light. So I started to, the moment I started, the moment I found this hope and this curiosity, my brain clicked out of the depression and it was a dark depression. And I started to confront all the things I was afraid of. Uh, the bottom of the pyramid was the least afraid. The top was where I was most afraid. So at the bottom, it was a fear of spiders. At the top, it was a fear of violent confrontation. So I worked my way up the pyramid, but I realized, Dan, that I wasn't actually, wasn't actually overcoming fears as such. I was converting fears. So there was a darkness in me, a fear, an anxiety, a depression, 
I was going into it. I was absorbing 99% of it. So this three-dimensional monster eventually became a two-dimensional cartoon and then dissipated. So I was converting the dark into light. I was converting ignorance into consciousness. So there was a conversion program. And of course, I'd got all of these placeholder fears, fear of spiders, fear of dentists, fear of karate competitions, etc. As I started to climb the pyramid, I realized uh, other, other things started to present themselves. So these things were like placeholders. Below them, there were deeper fears. I was afraid of my mother. I was afraid of, um, you know, uh, of my mother withdrawing love. Even though I was an adult, I was afraid of my wife. Um, if she said, jump, I said, can I finish the Hoover first? You know, you know what I mean? It was like I was very afraid of uh, confrontation in my own house. I was actually even more afraid of admitting that. So I said, I'm not afraid of my wife. I just don't want the hassle. I'm not afraid of my mom. I just want to keep her happy. I'm not afraid of changing jobs. This one's okay. You know, I'm not afraid of karate tournaments. Just don't really want to do them. But actually, these things were inhibiting my life. So as I overcame them and confronted them and converted them, these energies, they did two things, Dan. They, they blocked light from coming into me, you know, consciousness, and they also contained light. So when I, when I, con- when I confronted them and overcame them, the, the nature of the fear was liberated and the consciousness that was in it, the effulgence came across to me. So I just literally expanded in understanding, expanded in consciousness. It, it all sounds like a, like a fancy word, but I, I expanded in awareness. I knew more. And that gave me the courage, the modality, uh, and the awareness to confront the next fear and the next fear. And then I said, as I said, deeper fears started to, um, present themselves. So, you know, I was afraid of my mother. I was afraid of, I was afraid of success, Dan, because I didn't know what success was. We were brought up on a, on a, on a rich diet of pulled wins, lottery wins. You know, this idea that, you know, we'd, 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 we'd passed stories around the canteen like factory porn of, of someone that, that made millions on a, on a simple idea. Mm. Someone that had a simple idea made millions from it. So that was our idea of success. But because we didn't understand success, we could never achieve success. So I was afraid of success because every time I approached success, success spoke to me. It was a, another little cosmic post-it note. He said, well, what is success to you? What do you want? Like I said to a young guy recently, I was talking to a rough sleeper and he, and I said to him, what do you really want to do? He said, I'd love to be really successful. I'd love to do big business and help other people who were in my position. And I said, that's really good. I said, but what, what would the business be? And he said, and he didn't know. And I said, but what would you like to do? And he goes, he didn't know. He, he was afraid of success because every time he broached it, he hadn't got the information. And I was saying the information is there. It's in books. It's in the library. You just need to have the courage to open that door and go in. So the, the idea for me was that in confronting these fears, I was converting it into consciousness and expanding. And then I was finding deeper fears and then deeper fears still. And then below all of those fears, I found... Um, you know, conditioning. I found um, false precepts, false concepts, false cognitions, false beliefs, and all of them contained fear. Now, at the time, these were things to overcome. I didn't realize at the time that uh, the Ainsoth, you know, the infinite one, 
was guiding me on a treasure hunt. Every single thing I was afraid of, and they all existed in me, contained a tincture of wisdom, a tincture of um, light or consciousness. So every time I overcame a fear, I expanded and expanded again. But my, my first fear, my biggest fear, was admitting that I was afraid. Um, and, and then starting to come to terms with my own darker aspects, all of, all of those parts of me that were blocked. Some of it was just conditioning. Some of it was parasites that had been put in me by abuse, um, you know, and put downs and that kind of thing. Some of it was deeply, deeply ingrained by the class system. It's very kind of you to say I've gone from working class to middle class, but I don't consider myself in any class. I don't, I don't, I don't recognize class. I understand it. Um, and I understand I came from that place, but um, I, I don't give myself any limitations, definitely not class, because um, it's, you know, whether it's working class, middle class, upper class, it's still a limitation. And I want to step beyond, I want to step beyond the realm of perception. So, okay. be, but, you know, but, uh, but, you, but you're right, you started there. So as I overcame the fears, I changed jobs. I started to stand up for myself with my wife, which she didn't like very much. I got a couple of tattoos because I'd always wanted tattoos and I'd never got one because of my mom. And eventually I became a nightclub doorman because my greatest fear was violent confrontation. But by this time I was, I'd left my factory work. I was working as a builder. I'd actually developed, gone on a course and become a bricklayer. So I was doing a, I was got a skilled trade. I was working in some hardy places. And I took a job as a nightclub doorman to overcome my ultimate fear. So you can imagine every single time, I didn't know this 30 years ago, I only know it now, that every single time I confronted something I was afraid of, it, it, that contained light and blocked light, I was able to retrieve that light and also make room to expand with light. So I've become a better and better vessel for it. So that ended up with me on the door. And to understand what I was doing, I was trying to teach it to other people. I was telling stories about it and sharing it with my friends. And I remember thinking, I should write this down. Or my friends said to me, you should write this down because it's funny and it's interesting and it's different. So that was the beginning of my first book, which was Watch My Back, A Bouncer Story, um, which was terrifying because it was like uh, people like me don't like books. I mean, it was a genuine fear. It was a genuine, I genuinely couldn't believe it was possible. There was nobody in my life, nobody in my environment. I'd never seen anybody, anybody of any class who'd written a book. I didn't know them personally. I knew there were people out there doing it, but I didn't think I was worthy of that. I didn't know that world. All I'd done is written a book uh, in, in notepads. Uh, I didn't even, my consciousness hadn't expanded enough to even know somebody that owned a typewriter. It was typewriters at the time. So this forced me to expand my consciousness. I found someone that owned a typewriter. They typed it out. I searched to see who I could um, give it to, to see whether it was any good. So I thought, oh, well, I'll go to the local newspaper, uh, to the Coventry Telegraph and speak to a reporter. They'll know if it's any good or not. And luckily, um, I, I happened upon a girl called Sue Lari who was uh, who was good enough to say, this is good. There's something, it needs to be developed. She said, I've got 15 journalists upstairs uh, in this newspaper. All of them want to write a book. None of them have. 
He said, you've done that already. So she gave me massive encouragement. Then I found, I opened this portal called the Writers and Artists Yearbook. Bear in mind, Dan, this wasn't there before. This has only been opened up to me by consciousness. I've gone from being a factory worker that I don't understand any of it, to suddenly understanding that every phone number, every email, every address, every editor in the, in the country for books is in this one place. It was a portal to every publisher in the country. So I could access all of them in, you know, directly. So I sent my manuscripts off. A few of them said, thank you, leave your number in the bin, that kind of thing, <laughs> uh, you know. But I did the classic thing, you know, I went straight to the addresses. I didn't read the information. The information said, if you're writing a book about cats, don't send it to a publisher that writes, that publishes books on dogs. If you're writing about dogs, don't send it to a publisher that's writing about horses. You know, find the specific publisher that you want. So eventually I found a, a new publisher. They loved it. And suddenly I go from being, uh, I go from having something that's impossible, having a book published to having a book in my hand. Now I've gone from ignorance to the first proof, which is it's possible. I've seen, I've looked around and, and I've done some reading and I see other people like me that have done it. And then it's gone from understanding to actual certainty. Once you have a book in your hand, they call this Yaqeen in, in Islam. Once you've got a book in your hand and it's published and the publisher's paid for it and they're paying you to publish it, nobody can deny that's possible. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter what anybody throws at me. I have the proof. I have certainty. That is a divine attribute. But that's like a, a massive expansion of consciousness. So I went on from that one book to write 50 books, films, plays. I even wanted to prove to myself I could write for the, for the Times and I've got a, a feature published in the Times. And I realized that anything was within my reach if I could expand my consciousness and not. Very exciting. So that was my journey. But then, I, you know, I wanted to understand more, wanted more consciousness. I wanted to, I wanted to trip the light fantastic. And my guide said to me, yeah, well, you can have as much as you want, Jeff. You just need to make room for it. What do you mean, make room for it? Well, there's lots of stuff in there that's blocking light. It contains light and it blocks light. So it started to lead me towards repentance. Repentance means to repair. It means to return. It means to find refuge. So I went into all of the dark places, you know, the mistakes where conscious, conscience was leading me, mistakes and errors and, uh, um, you know, violences, whatever they were, I went in and I started to recognize that they contained light and they blocked light. So I started to gradually individuate them and convert them into light as well. So it just kept expanding. I obviously stumbled on terror a few times and anxiety because the nature of looking at your past is all that, isn't it? So, uh, and that continues, you know, I continue to, um, uh, expand through contraction. And, contra and, and contract through expansion. So when I contract the ego and the darkness, I expand in consciousness. When I expand in consciousness and spirit, that automatically starts a contraction of the ego. So that's another one for our T-shirts, Dan. Expansion through contraction, contraction through expansion. And then underneath we should put explain. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> click this link to go to Honey, I've got the business. Yeah. Anyway, Jeff Thompson. <laughs> well, what, what's beautiful about that is, is that's both a story and a pattern, a pattern of life that you, you, yeah. it is repeating. I um, spent the day or the afternoon with Jeff at uh, 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 afternoon tea. Yeah, house in a place called Coombe Abbey in Coventry. Yeah, which I would highly, highly, highly recommend if you're still doing them. If you, you, if you're listening to this, to go to it because I had the most mind-expanding, consciousness-expanding experience. And we did a, a, a walking meditation, and through the walking meditation, uh, you, you quizzed us, uh, the attendees, on what we got from it. And I, I got this word rhythm. Yeah, a word that came to me just the pattern, the tap, tap, tap of walking and, and just being present. And that turned into what I'm, I've called for myself, the groove, like staying in the groove, the rhythm, the yeah. groove. And what you're describing is a pattern, a rhythm, a groove that you can kind of expand and contract and just follow that pattern. And then as you're going, your kind of the awareness, your consciousness opens up. And, 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 I'm, and I'm curious, actually, how does that apply to you today? I mean, you obviously you're going into historically what happens, but you're on, on this path, this, this groove you're following. How, how does that apply today? Um, it just, it, for me, I can tell you in one line, find the center, hold the center, develop the center. That's so the imagine you've, say again. There's another yeah, t-shirt. There. Another t-shirt. <laughs> There's loads, isn't that? Yeah. So you've got a, you imagine you've got a dark, a, a good energy, light energy and a dark energy. Um, and then if we place our will force between the two, we could, we can create light. So we place ourselves between the two opposing forces. So that's the center. They call it the center column in the, on the Kabbalic tree. So the center column is that we recognize there is dark and light. We recognize that if we place ourselves as a, as a filament between the two, we can create light. So my job is to stay in that center place. If I fall to the right, I become sickly sweet, socks and sandals. Um, I become, um, People, please. If I, if I go too much to the left, I become acidic and uh, severe. So it's finding what they call justice, which is the middle middle place. That's what you're talking about, the grooves. And I do that by keeping myself in constant prayer. By, by constant prayer, I mean that I wake up talking to God. I talk to God all day. Um, and when I go to bed at night, I'm talking to God. When I'm sitting and writing, I'm talking to God. When I'm talking to you, now I'm talking to God. And if, just by the way, if anybody's watching and they're offended by the word God, um, that I'm already your teacher, there is a window of inquiry right there. Why would you be offended by a word like that? You know, investigate it, do the rigor. So I find the center. I find, I find that, uh, that middle, that middle, um, groove, as you call it, between the two forces and I bring them together. So there's no longer a light force and a dark force. There's two forces that are created into a fourth force by a third force. So when we put the will force, so for instance, I want to, I want to write a book, but I'm too scared to sit down or too lazy to sit down. When I make myself sit down, I, I, I place myself between those two forces and I create a book. I create lives. So I want to go to the gym. But I'm too lazy to go to the gym. When I place myself as a filament between those two opposing forces, I create a workout. Then I can start to develop a physique. So most people don't create much and don't do much because they don't place themselves between those two forces. You know, so it's placing yourself between the two, between the two opposing forces that creates a bridge. 
They call it the Christ bridge or the floating bridge of heaven and earth. And once you create that bridge, that bridge gives off what they call attractive forces. Chi, pneuma, spirit, um, attractive forces, the philosopher's stone, whatever you want to call it. It's got lots of, it's got various names. So we create from that place. Obviously, if, if, if we're a very clean vessel, if we dedicate our life to being a congruent vessel, we're able to do that more prolifically and we'll be able to do it cleaner and cleaner. So for me, that's what I've always done. I've always had the, the, the kind of the, the male aspects and the female, female aspect and I've combined them together with a strong will. And that strong will has created, um, I'll give you an example. Just so that it doesn't remain abstract, Dan. Um, you know, that's a, that's a divine CEO. So that's, that's an example of, um, me placing myself between two forces, creating a bridge and receiving light. The light was transmitted straight into this book or 50 books or as many as you want. Then this book goes out as light and works in the world independently of me. Mm. So I can do that. With anything, I can create anything from that. And that's, that's the process I work, but I do it all from a place of goodness. I do it from a place of love. I do it from a place of, um, uh, when I say the word charity, I mean, um, I mean from a place of goodness. So I'm doing it because it feels like it's the right thing to do. Like you talked at the beginning about, I want to put a podcast out so people can learn from my mistakes. That's what you're doing. There must be days when you want to do it, but you're thinking, why am I still doing this? This is tough. Mm. And then you place yourself between the two and you create light because you know there's going to be some kid out there who's going to be inspired by what you say. So that's my life now is about going from um, recognizing that I was in and out of that middle line. Sometimes I was to the right. Sometimes I was to the left. Sometimes I was in the middle. The only time I was prolific and the only time I created the great stuff was when I was in the middle and that's when I was doing the work. Mm. So at the moment, the work might be sitting down writing a book, but the main work is, is, uh, this concept of, um, as the Buddhists say, uh, clean your own act up, clean yourself up. But when you re- when you, when you clean yourself up, you, you gather in all your energy with that energy, you can concentrate and meditate and, um, uh, figure out what reality is for yourselves. I'm going to just focus on this because the cleaning yourself up a bit. There's a bit of here, you talk about the sort of dark and the light and you want to go to the gym, but you don't want to go to the gym. And you want to write a book, but you know, I've never written a book. There's this kind of resistance, the dark yeah. energy that's holding you back, the kind of yeah. the thing that's pulling you down. It, it, you talk in your latest book, which I will highly recommend, 99 Reasons to Forgive. It's um, just coming out. I've been reading it, and it's really a fantastic distillation, actually, of many of your other books. And yeah. Very practical. But you talk about, quotes, battling the enemy within. Mm. And what I found is that's the – you talk about the work. The real work is – for me, being that, yeah, cleaning myself up. Now, the rest of the work, the business, the podcast, everything else is much easier. To, it's more, much more of a flow state for me. Once I cracked open the walnut-like shell of my ego and mm. understand it, I had to battle the enemy within. Could you just talk on what's, what's an enemy within? Well, everybody has an evil inclination. So they have a dark side and a light side. Everybody has that. But they're disparate. 
and they tend to divide. That's what they call a demon. A divide. The word demon comes from the word divide. So the self is divided again and again. So there might be 20 or 30 or 40 personalities in there. One of them wants to go to the gym. Another one can't be bothered. On Friday, I'm inspired. I'm going to go to the gym. On Monday, I don't want to wake up and get out of bed. I know I should stop watching sexual pornography, and I'm going to do that. But suddenly, I find myself at the computer again watching sexual pornography. I know I shouldn't overeat, but I still overeat. I know I shouldn't gossip, but I still waste my energy and destroy my energy by gossiping. So it's recognizing that we have that darker element and and uh, embracing it, coming to terms with it, mastering it. So when we wake up spiritually, Dan, it means we go, well, I'm awake. This, I'm sovereign of this body. This body's mine. And then we go, but hold on. I am sovereign of this body. That's what waking up is. I've got consciousness of that, but I haven't got control of my food. I haven't got control of my appetites. I haven't got tr- control of my senses. The smallest muscle, in, one of the smallest muscles in the body, my tongue, I haven't got control of that. Uh, there's so much information out there. There's so much consciousness and I, and I can't get to it because I haven't got the discipline to make myself sit down and study. You know, I've, I'm in a bad relationship, but I'm too scared to get out of it. Um, you know, whatever it is, I'm overweight. You know, people want to change the world, Dan, but they, they can't change their own waist measurement. So <clears throat> waking up is going, I am sovereign of this body, but I'm aware I've lost control of it. This is like Odysseus coming back from the Trojan Wars to, to his kingdom in Ithaca rec- and recognizing that it's been overtaken by vagabonds. Even his own servants don't recognize him. So he has to come back and, and he has to come back and win his kingdom back. So when we wake up, we have to win our kingdom back. We have to get control of the gross physical body. That's our palate, our food, our appetites. Once we get control of the food, the senses start to fall into alignment. We have to get control of our breath body. Most people live anxiously. So they haven't got control of their breath body. Yeah. So the pneuma, the chi that's coming in and out of their body, isn't really being utilized by the whole body. It's mostly people are chest breathing or shallow breathing or holding their breath. So we haven't got control of that. We haven't got control of the mind body or the intellect. You know, we've got, we've got this Ferrari and we use it to sit at a, you know, a lathe 10 hours a day and we haven't improved our skill in the last 20 years. You know, some kid comes in off the factory floor within six months, he's on the same money as us and at the same level as us because we did some learning in the first six months, but we haven't improved on it for you know, 20 years. So we shout at the telly and we talk about the wealth divide and we talk about us and them. But actually, there is, if there's a wealth divide, if there's an us and them, it's only within us. So we haven't got control. We haven't got any control of our own will force. So we've got no control of the physical body, <clears throat> no control of the breath body, no control of the mind and the intellect, and absolutely no control of the will force. This is why so many people of my father's generation died shortly after they retired because their will was an enforced will. Somebody made them go to work and they wouldn't pay their rent if they didn't. When they left work and there was no one to crack the whip, they didn't know how to exercise their own will. So people like me and you, we are autodidacts. We exercise our own will. So I, I, I recognized that I was awake and I needed to exercise my will to win back my body from all of the parasites that are taking it over so that my body could be what they call a unified being. And they say that once you're unified, you have control of the whole world. So we unify, not just that not just that we've got control of them, but that they're all speaking the same language. They're all subservient to the higher body. And then eventually when we have a unified body and we have 
control of our own will force, we can surrender that to our higher force, which is our, which is our super soul. Once we do that, we start to receive more and more consciousness, more and more incorporeal teachings. So, so for instance, for you, you've never heard of me, but you want to learn. And the basis of your learning is that you want to serve other people. That's the secret right there. Mm. So suddenly you stumble on, you stumble on me on, uh, on a podcast, on Paul's podcast. Um, and then suddenly I'm manifest in front of you, aren't I? You're at a walk with mm. me and I'm there. I'm real. It's real. So suddenly there was a teacher there in front of you that you'd never even heard of. You didn't even exist. So consciousness has brought that into your life, not just me. But Coom Abbey and the other people that were at the walk with us. And we were in the chapel. So we've got the spirit of, of the monks that used to be in the chapel. And now we've got this podcast and, and, you know, and now all sorts of other ideas are triggering as we're talking. I can see them firing. Mm. There's a million ideas that are firing. And that's all because you had the desire to understand more because you don't want people to go through the misery that you went through. That is very powerful. So I started to attract more and more teachers, more and more incorporeal teachers who helped me to master my body and mind more and showed me what I was here for, why I'm here for, what I'm here for. Everybody wants a purpose. I know why I'm here. And that's what I try to do every day. Rather than just doing it, you know, at the weekend, once or twice a week, like a recreational player, my, my, working day, my life, my breath, this body is spent in the pursuit of service. Not in serving Dan, as lovely as you are, not in serving Paul or not in serving any person, but in serving my source. But in serving my source, I'm serving me because it has to be processed through me. I'm serving you and serving other people. When we're talking, it's serving me as well because I'm telling you things um, some of the things I didn't know before, some of them I did know, but the, re- the, rep- the, the, the repetition of it helps it to embed. So I don't really know what I know until I teach other people what I know. So that, that becomes the raison d'etre. The raison d'etre is I don't care about the money. I don't care about the validation. I don't care about clicks or followers. I just care about serving God or serving my source or serving consciousness, whichever name you want to put on it. Once I get to that place and that's a certainty with me, which it is, then I try to be courageous enough to let that light shine wherever I'm placed. So I don't make any decisions now. You know, the decisions are made for me. So this spirit coats me, it Christs me, so it expands me, and then it goes before me and leads me. It's like a divine sat So I say, move left, move right, go forward, go back, stop. Push, yield, say yes, say no. Spend five minutes with this person, spend five hours, kick this person away. I get, I am given the exact direction and the exact location and the exact timing with everything. If I'm asked to expend 50 minutes with somebody and I expend 40, I've wasted 10 minutes. If I'm, if I'm asked to expend 50 minutes with somebody and I do 60, I've, uh, I'm going to burn myself out because I'm using something I haven't called forward. So it's exact. It's impeccable. So the idea for me then is that that's how my day is based. I'm in this place where I am now. 
I'm away from the distractions. I've gathered all my energy back in from all the social medias, from all the need for validation, for all the need for awards, for all the need for money, um, all, for all of those sensual temporal needs. And I'm just working in the pursuit of consciousness. And in order to, in order to receive consciousness, I need to find somebody that needs consciousness. This is one of the greatest lines in the Zohar. The master sets the table for the servant before he eats himself. The throwaway line, but it's powerful. It's saying we find somebody that needs consciousness and then we pull it down for them. But of course, when we pull it down, what does it do? Thickens us, it coats us, it makes us a better vessel, makes us a better instrument. Now that's, that what I'm talking about there, receiving in order to share is a grace. It's not something you can necessarily learn, but you can practice trying it until it becomes real for you. If you do it enough times, it will just become, you'll, you'll start to believe it and feel it. And then that's all you'll want to do. And everything you need, the money you need, the roof over your head, the transport, um, you know, the food, that will all be supplied for you. Whatever you need will be supplied. Mm. Is this practice? This yeah, practice. Keeping doing it. Practice. Keeping on doing it and the discipline. You know, do you know, do you know who taught me this, Dan? Forgive me for interrupting. No, no, please. I was, I was taught, I was taught it by a fly. Was, I was reading a book outside Costa. It was freezing cold. There was a strong wind. It was the time of COVID. So nobody could sit inside. And I was outside in my coach and it was a quiet bliss because I was reading and I was reading about this. And as I was reading, um, a fly came over. And it landed on the page and it was, wasn't really a fly. It was a being. It, there was an angelic nature to it. And I just was looking at it in fascination, Dan, because it was hench. There wasn't a single thing on that fly, not a single thing that was not necessary. Mm. It, he only had what was necessary. There was no accoutrements. There was no, you know, little fly Rolex. <laughs> there was no extras. There's nothing weighing it down. There was no expectations. And it, he landed on the page and on the page, I was reading all the stuff we're talking about now and it landed on the word. And I said to the fly, I said, Oh, it's lovely to see you. And I was so in ad admiration of, of how hench he was. Cause I thought this guy is just pure consciousness. There's nothing on him that isn't necessary. He would like, like a ripped story in Yates of the fly world. <laughs> and then, and I said to him, Oh, really nice to meet you. What, if you got something for me, what do you want to show me? And it walked across the page and it, and it walked over the words, practice, practice, practice. Hmm. And I said, thank you. And it flew away. It flew through this wind like it didn't exist because there was nothing on it that was not necessary. It wasn't carrying three suitcases, you know, mm. and it didn't have, you know, 10 million followers to feed every single day and to be fed off. It was just hench, but it, that was the word, practice, practice, practice. It's exactly what we're saying. And the practice is always on the self. There's a lovely line in the Bhagavad Gita, on the sums the Gita up, lift the self by the self. Never let the self droop down. The self is the self's only enemy. The self is the self's only friend. That's how I try to live my life. And I, as, as you know, I'm sure you're aware, I fall often. But I get up quicker than I did before. And today I'm better than I was yesterday. And, and tomorrow I aim to be better than I am today. Mm. What a beautiful little sequence that was. 
That fly, I was, going to, I, was, I was going to interrupt you, but that fly was sending you a, quote, cosmic post-it note, I believe. A little post-it note, yeah. A little post-it note from the cosmos there. <laughs> Bosh, have that. And you were, you were fully, through your ongoing practice of raising your awareness and consciousness, were able to read yeah. that cosmic post-it note. Oh, Everything, that, that's beautiful. Please, yeah. And I think this is, this is the thing, well, I think for anybody listening, for me listening, I'm listening, Christ, I'm, I'm taking it all in. This is an amazing uh, teaching for me. But this sort of practice, this ongoing practice, and uh, and recognizing the fear, and incorporating that fear, the the darkness into the light, is a practice, an ongoing mm. groove that I'm trying to stay in. Yeah. And, and could you? What would you kind of say is you, you kind of um, in the in the book um, uh, Ninety Nine Reasons to Forgive? You talk about learning a struggle. Because um, it's it's hard to sort of learn this stuff. Mm. Uh, perhaps you're saying things that are kind of conceptually difficult for people, or perhaps like you say, you say the word God, and people might respond funny to that. Mm. People are wrestling with their own selves. How can they? What's a, a, a neat tactic to kind of overcome some of these things that are going to hold you back? The struggle of learning. Well, don't take yes for an answer for a start off. I mean, if I say the word God, and and like one one of my best students. A guy called Ian. <clears throat> I was doing a podcast and I was, and I did exactly this. I said, uh, I've mentioned God and, and I said, Oh, by the way, you watching. I said, if you're offended by the word God, you know, I'm your teacher. Why are you offended? There's a Dharma gate there that opens into a university. If you, if you go through it and he rang me up, he was a senior martial artist and he says, Yeah, that's me. That's me. And he said, when you said that word, I recoiled. He said, I just thought, Oh, fucking hell. Here we go. Here we go. Socks and sandals, you know. You know, rosary beads, had no idea. And, and they said, when you said, I'm your teacher, I thought, oh, yeah. And anyway, he became a student of mine. And I've never seen a guy elevate so fast because he took the instruction. If I said to him, you need a judo instructor on the Friday, by the Monday, he got a judo instructor and the best in the, in the, in the area. If I said you need, you know, if I said you need to get your palate right, he would be on it that day, not wait till Monday. You know, he would just, he, he took advice and he went, he went, this guy went from being quite well known in Britain to on the world stage. The struggle is what they call in Islam, the great jihad, the inner struggle. So if you have a word, people think a word is nothing, but if you hear the word God, um, and you're, you repel by that word, it says a lot. It says, I don't like that word. And I've got lots of perceptions around that word, which means I, I suddenly close my, I close the door to lots and lots of Dharma gates, lots of doors of potential. I can't read the Bibles because I don't like God. I can't look at the Quran. I can't look at the Christian Bible. I can't look at the Old Testament. I can't look at, because I can't look at the Old Testament and I can't look at the Gita, I can't look at the exegesis of that. So I can't go into the Zohar or the Tanya. I can't go into the, you know, it, which is the exegesis of the Torah. I can't go into Kabbalah because they don't like God. They don't understand it. So we suddenly, with a single word, with a single reaction, we close lots of doors. And I say to people, find out for yourself what's in the Bible. There's a hidden Bible. There's a revealed Bible. And there's a hidden Bible. The revealed Bible will say all sorts of contradictions that will probably scare you away. That's what it's there for. It's a house ghost. The revealed Bible. So the, 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 if the revealed Bible is binary. Yes, no, right, wrong, you know, set facts, right? That scares most people off. The quantum Bible, um, or the, the hidden Bible, <clears throat> um, is, is, uh, 
a blueprint just for Dan Kirby, just for Jeff Thompson. So when you go into the, the hidden Bible, you know, it goes, oh, here's Dan. Um, and it might, you might read, say, if you might read, uh, the Quran or the Zohar, and you might pick up 30 or 40 disparate notes. Excuse me. That don't really mean nothing. But when you put them together and reduce them, they become a concept. They call a concept nucleus. That concept nucleus might be one word, might reduce to one word. And that word becomes a Dharma gate. So when I read the Zohar, I took 70 pages of notes, reduced them eventually by doing notes on the notes on the notes until it ends up with one word. And that one word was breath. Now I can tell you that won't mean nothing to you, but that was a Dharma gate. So my intuition said, don't now study breath. Breath is pneuma, breath is spirit. You know, breath is chi, breath is key, breath is consciousness. Consciousness is healing. You know, it's where the miracles come from. So I have to do a study on breath. Then I realize that's all I'm here for. That leads me to, I'm here to create life. So breath is spirit. I'm here to receive spirit, to process spirit, and to, Im- and to impart spirit into the world because spirit or light overcomes ignorance or darkness. So that's what I am. I'm a light-producing machine. We all are if we want to be. But of course, as my consciousness expands, I'm not looking at the same world as anybody else. Where, where I live now um, is quite close to where Shakespeare was born. That's not a change of location or a change of class down. That's a change of perception. That's a change of spirit. So when, when I say to somebody, if you're offended by the word God, if you're offended because I'm holding rosaries, but if that offends you, the smell that, it's beautiful. But if that offends you, then, then what is it blocking you from seeing? This is, this is from Mother Mira, from a friend of mine called Debs who got it from Mother Mira, who's, who's uh, an avatar in Germany. And uh, it's, there's, I won't go into all the meanings of it, but it's a Dharma gate. So if that offends you, say, oh, Jeff Thompson was knocking people out, now suddenly he's holding beads. You know, if that's offensive to you, I'm, I'm, if you're, if you are perceptive enough and brave enough to look at that, it will open a Dharma gate to the Bhagavad Gita, to the Mahabharata, to the Srimad Bhagavatam, to 500 verses from 500,000 verses from the Vedas. The Vedas will lead over into Buddhism, to Sikhism, etc. There's an, there is a font, an infinite font of knowledge behind that single word that we don't access Dan, because we're afraid of the word. Mm. So my friend who was afraid of the word, um, I didn't lead him in directly through that. I led him in through mythology because he was interested in mythology. Then he found his way back to religion. He found his way from the hidden, the revealed Bibles to the hidden Bibles. And then he started to recognize that, you know, we are the breviary. We are the library. It's in us, all that stuff. When I read, uh, if I read Dogam, you know, and um, the, the true, the true Dharma Rai, it's about that big and it's one of the hardest books in the world to read because it's deliberate, deliberately abstract. It's deliberately there to, to scare your ego away because your ego will go, this is, I don't understand this. This is rubbish. It's not meant for the ego. It's meant to close the ego down. It's meant for the soul to read it like a barcode. But at one, he talks down and he says, the act of looking for something, and this is quite quantum, the act of looking for something not only creates it, but it creates the eye that sees it mm. and it brings forward. So like for, for a single word, for a three letter word, G-O-D, that is a, that is a Dharma gate. If you investigate that, that's an eye. 
you can go through that eye, you can look. If you're, if you are brave enough to look and it will take all the courage you've got. Cause when you go in and look at the void, the void's looking back at you. Cause it will say, do you want to go any further? You need to get rid of that sexual pornography habit. You need to stop gossiping about your neighbors. You stop, you need to stop murdering people outside Costa. In Judaism, they consider gossip to be murder because you're assassinating character. They consider embarrassing somebody, um, drawing blood because you're drawing blood up the body to the face. You know, they're going into the minutiae. They're saying in this reciprocal world, this world of causation, what you think, what you say, what you do has an effect, not just an effect, but you release a spirit with it. And that spirit goes out and works. Is it a dark spirit or is it a light spirit? So people don't go into these, this study because they're afraid to, which I understand. That's not a judgment. I'm afraid of it. If you're not afraid of it, you've got no right being there. So you go into it and you just gradually start to boil up and evaporate all of the darkness that's in you and you convert it into light. So consciousness, consciousness, consciousness. So it's, um, so when I say, uh, I'm your teacher, I'm not being flippant. I'm saying there's a Dharma gate there that will lead you to an infinite font of knowledge if you want it. There is no us and them. There is no, um, um, Illuminati, you are the Illuminati. Mm. The moment you open that eye and the, the act of looking is when you open the eye, the act of seeking is when you open the eye. When you open that eye, you become the Illuminati because you become illuminated. You understand more. And if you start to, if you start to go in and really look at this stuff, Dan, you become noticed. This is what I would call spiritual first contact. Incorporeal spirits go, Oh, there's Dan Kirby. He's interesting. He's noticing. He's, he's curious. He wants to know stuff. We like that. And you will start to get little hints, little tips. You'll be put in front of the right people. You'll be led towards the right books. Your ego will react badly because, of course, the ego is going to be um, consumed in the volition of the work. Of course it is because um, the ego has to contract in order to expand. So you have to replace the ego with spirit. So this, this, there's a gradual takeover. Spirit comes down, dissolves ego. And eventually we become, we become an equitable, unified body. So that teaching is there for anybody. It's equitably available to everybody. I think what me and you could agree on is that not everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. So our job, if we can, is if we're brave, because obviously the demonic forces uh, abhor a shepherd, <laughs> don't like it when you're leading people towards light, because that's their lunch, isn't it? Now, when you're sitting watching that sexual pornography, you're lunch for some, you know, some incorporeal being. You think it's pleasure, but it's, you're just lunch. It's just abuse. It's just literally stolen energy, stolen essence. Same as with violence. Same as with gossip. Same as with unkindness. You know, but, I mean, it depends how deep you want to go, but it's, I would just, I would just encourage people, to, if, if all of this sounds complicated and you want to know how to work it, just be kind every day and see how difficult that is. See how difficult it is to sit with your family and not gossip. See how difficult it is not to go, he's a nice guy, but, you know, if I got my, if you was going to start talking about someone, now I'd get my phone out and go, oh, let me just record this because you're talking about John and it's interesting. You'll see John later and I'll, I'll let him know what you've got to say. You'll have nothing bad to say about John. <laughs> everything, everything is recorded down. Mm. Everything is recorded and it's recorded on us. And even our skin will speak a testimony against us. 
powerful and it's um but it's exciting and it but it's all about as we said it's all about working on the cells we can't contemplate what reality is because we haven't got the energy because our energy is lent out in so many places 10,000 places when we call that any energy back again by getting rid of all of the places you know where we waste our energy so most people are doing a doctorate a doctorate amount of study on the shit on the telly and on the internet every single day a, a, a doctorate amount you know probably 10 12 hours a day just taking in subjective mostly negative stuff yeah. so that's there and it's available it's equitably available for everybody the idea that there is an us and them and that there is a wealth divide is true but it's not true of the world it's true of us the world is just a reflection if i've got parts of me that are still living in ignorance that are still starving for, for knowledge they're the parts i need to use my consciousness to to uh, teach so eventually i can get that divide closed so if we want to see a wealthy fire change in the world, change the wealth dividing yourself. Don't be led round like a, you know, like a, like a bull with a bull ring by the perceptions of other people. That knowledge is there for everybody. Anybody can access it. And, and what we're trying to do is just say, first of all, it is available. Don't take my word for it. Go and have a look. It's available. Um, and secondly, you're not accessing it probably because you're afraid of it. And if you're not afraid of it, you're not ready to look at it. You need to be afraid of it. You need to have a healthy respect for it because it will, it will highlight things um, uh, that you need to remove. And that is where the struggle is. That's what we call the greater jihad or the inner fight. I want to be respectful of, respectful of your time today, but that's, I think, a beautiful place to kind of tie up this podcast. The inner struggle, the demons and the battles within overcoming those and uh, i for one have found that working on that on my inner state the kind of shadow side of me has been the path to a better life and not just in my work but every aspect of my life and and so i I'd, that practice that groove to stay in the the, the wisdom of the fly is yeah. what to follow <laughs> In your day-to-day -day life as an entrepreneur, working your um, uh, what path, and I think what what Jeff's story is, is, is indicated is these uh, conceptions are, are constructions. The idea of class, the idea of what you should be doing, the, the idea of what's going to hold you back. Those fears can dissolve yeah. if you can put in the work. And so, Jeff, thank you so much for for being so open and kind to come on the podcast and share with us all today. W where can we find out more about you? Um, um, I've only got one place on the internet and that's, uh, uh, Instagram and it's run by a friend of mine called Gabriello. It's, it's Jeff underscore Thompson underscore official. Perfect. Um, what we will put the links, um, in the, the show notes and descriptions. Jeff's new book, 99 reasons to forgive and revenge ain't one is out now or now ish anyway, out very probably be out by the time this podcast comes out. It's a brilliant book. It's really uh, very practical, uh, but full of deep wisdom, as you'll have uh, heard today. Uh, and these uh, afternoon teas uh, at Coombe Abbey, uh, yeah. I would highly recommend. You can find Thank out. You. I found out, out about it from the uh, the Instagram account. And um, yes. yeah, really, please read all his books. Please uh, discover more. It's a, a little signal from the universe to you today, if you've listened to this, to, to, to pursue it. So as you said, the, the, the word or the inclination or the teacher can, uh, will appear. It so will appear. Pursue yeah. it. 
and, and, and remember, Dan, as well, that their business is an extension of them. Mm. If they want to improve their business, they just need to improve themselves. And there we go. Take that to heart, take it away and reflect on that. And thanks everyone for joining us. I'll see you all next time. Are you an impact startup founder? Are you looking to do good in the world? And do you want a team to build your tech product? But importantly, do you want that tech product to actually do what you want it to do based on the vision you've got? Then maybe, just maybe, my company, the tech department, could be a good fit. And as a founder of a startup, particularly in the early stages, every penny you invest is critical. It's adding value. It's creating improvement to your business. So our difference is we focus first on improvement, and that mindset shift is unique. And we turn that mindset shift into a method which we called the Tech Bootcamp. And it works really great. We get great feedback from all of our startup clients. And when you've got your business profitable and you want to build your in-house team, then we can help you with that too and hand over in a way that's not weird and we're not hanging onto the code or anything stupid like that. So if you like that idea, check us out at www.thetechdept.com. T-H-E-T-E-C-H-D-E-P-T. The tech department, thetechdept.com. The worst name to pronounce as a domain name on a podcast. Check it out.